welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hello. Hey, hey. I'm uh, coming in from a lack of snow, Idaho. It's usually very Mm. snowy here, but we don't have that much snow this year. How are you? I'm coming from, well, it's dry today in the Bay Area. It's rained the last three days, which we've needed because no snow in Idaho, but also likely no snow in Tahoe and like all of the other places where we would prefer there be snow. Um, I'm doing okay, except I thought I had what was like a pretty decent workout this morning and my watch basically told me I was a piece of shit. <laughs> Thanks, Cor- Carmen. Well, it was Cora. Love you too. But oh, I was looking oh, at it and it said my running performance was poor and I was like, Listen, like I could probably could have run a little faster, but I don't think it was poor. poor. It was brutal. Yeah. Brutal. So judgy. Like the words, <laughs> the words. Wait, when did you become a Koros person? Were you always a Koros person? Or I've you- been a Koros person, sponsored the podcast, um, for like four and a half years. <laughs> yeah, I got my Koros in 2019. Okay. Fan? Yeah. I mean, I love the battery life. Okay. Trying to think of like why I switched. Oh, I had a Garmin and then I got an, like the second generation, mm-hmm. this is not interesting to our listeners, but I, I got like a second generation <laughs> Apple watch and then it just died. But the, the battery life for you with that type, like that's not a good marathon trading watch anyway. No. And so then I think that like Coros was just kind of emerging. There was like, mm. obviously Garmin, Coros, Sunto, a few other ones. And I was liking what I was reading about Koros. And so I, I made the switch and yeah, it's been good, except it really judged my workout this morning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Garmin does the same thing. It's like, I had to turn that stuff off. It would be so, it would always happen to me warming up for a race. Like, you know, you do those like, you yeah. know, just warm up miles. Like I'm not trying to prove anything, but psychologically it would be like, performance, like negative, it would give you like a negative number. Like, I don't even know what these numbers meant, but it was like, excuse me, so rude, so judgy. I do not need that. (laughs) So mean. I think it's because like I did 1200 and then kind of just like a little bit of a float. And so it was like, why are you Mm. going fast? And then not, I don't know, but it's not like I haven't done that before. It was just, it's it's messing with my mind. All right. Listeners, what are you a Garmin? Are you an Apple Watch? Are you a Coros person? How do we feel about these performance metrics? Yeah. I don't know. I wish there was a way to turn them off. I can't figure it out. If anyone else wears a Coros Pace 2 and you have a way to turn off these dumb, judgy metrics and what like my estimated time is, like I don't need that messing with my head. Yeah. Let me know. Anyway. <laughs> that So this conversation actually reminds me of uh, something that you said during the conversation that we're introing where you actually totally convinced me and the guest of a feature mm. that does not exist on Strava. <laughs> Stress-adjusted pace? Yeah, stress-suggested pace. You had us both convinced that that existed and that we just hadn't played around with it. And now I really want it. It doesn't, but it should. It's it's this idea that like, depending on how stressed you are in your life or like just what is generally going on, your Strava pace adjusts just like you have like grade adjusted pace, right? There's stress-adjusted pace. So... Koros, Strava, if you're listening, sponsor us, hit us up, listen to our ideas. But let's get into our guest because we yes. loved this conversation and I feel like our intro 
of trivial things is not doing justice to the amazingness of our guest. So we had Cal Calamia on the podcast and Cal was just such a delight. Like we started talking about poetry and grad school and writing and which just opened up, you know, obviously a larger conversation about identity, inclusion, how much work we have to do, but also like still finding the joy in all of it. Yeah, 100%. This was a conversation that you and I had been looking forward to and it was absolutely one of my favorite conversations we've ever had and it was something that I have now talked to a handful of people about the things that came up in this and I'm just so excited for everyone to have the experience of listening to this conversation and then hopefully connecting with with Cal's work, which is all over the place. He's a great follow on, um, on all the social media platforms um, and there is playfulness and joy um, and there is also a really big, powerful statement and advocacy work around making running inclusive for everyone. Um, And I think we said this in the podcast, but we are so lucky to have him in the running community, but also the Bay Area running community. Just love to be able to claim claim Cal as, as one of ours. 100%. We got some real gems. We're a lucky bunch. Well, enjoy this episode with Cal Calamia. Hello and welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. We're so happy to have Cal Calamia here today. Now I feel a lot of pressure because we were just talking about name pronunciation and I'm like, did I did I get that right? Is that okay? <laughs> Wait, funny story while we're on the topic. When I was running the San Francisco Marathon and I crossed the finish line, the announcer screamed, Cal Calamari, <laughs> which is... <laughs> So not, not even <laughs> not yeah. it. But I got this tattoo of a squid running with running shoes because oh of gosh. that. So you know what? Love it. Turn it into something beautiful. I, I, I kind of love that. <laughs> I'd be like, it. yeah, calamari is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's... Well, thank you so well, much for having for me. Here. <laughs> We're gonna try not to just giggle the whole time. But it's going to be fun. So let's get started. This is a running podcast. Did you run today? No, I did not run today. Um, I am in what is completely against my entire personality, but a detraining period. I did the Chicago Marathon in October and I did the New York City Marathon one month later in November. So I'm only running for fun, nice, light, easy with friends right now. Um, probably through the end of the week. And then it's back to training. Mm, How does that feel? What's that like? (laughs) (laughs) No, literally, right? It's like against, it's against every inclination in my body. But fortunately, I've been quite distracted. I graduated from the MFA program at the University of San Francisco in creative writing just on Friday. So I've been consumed with a poetry thesis and a lot of mm. readings and school related things. So while it's a bummer to not be running more in this exact moment, it's good for me, I think, because it reminds me of the other people um, that I also contain. Yeah. 
I loved the post that you put up with your graduation picture, which the the caption was something like, this whole time I was also getting my (laughs) master's, which was my exact thought when I saw it. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Because not only did you race the two marathons that you said, you also raced at least Boston and Beta Breakers, probably some more that I didn't even clock, all while, you know, doing a lot of advocacy work that we're going to get into. Yes, it's busy over here on the home front. <laughs> and maybe we'll start there with the, we we're going to kind of like hit on the grad school stuff later. But in your post, you mentioned you had applied before, went to a couple classes, decided it wasn't the right time, and then wanted to come back to it. So I think so often we we feel like it's now or never, and we don't necessarily come back to things. So can you walk us through like how you made that decision in the first place and then what inspired you to come back to it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, there are so many different things that I really, really love to do. And it often creates problems for me where I'm totally overbooked and totally overwhelmed. And I had just moved to San Francisco from Missouri, where I went to school. And I was also a first-year teacher. And I was super young to be a first-year teacher. Um, and it was, it was really chaotic, but I, I knew that I loved writing. And I was really interested in this program. But as I wrote in the post, I showed up to one class and I just knew, like, as much as I want to do this right now, there's just absolutely no way that I can be all of these people in such a transitional time, right? Like, also the very beginning of my gender transition. So there was so much going on. But saying no to that felt devastating. But something that I like to keep in mind is that every decision that we make is only the next decision, right? There are very few decisions where if you make it, then that's it. And there's no reversing, there's no changing, there's no moving in a different direction. And so that was really helpful for me. And also being a trans person, it's very, very important for me to be super attuned to my intuition about myself and who I am and what I love and what it is that I should be doing. And when something stays on your mind for years and years and years as something you're interested in or passionate about, that probably means something. Um, so I, I listened to that and that is what ultimately led me to return to the program and do it again. And when I was there, even it was, it was so chaotic, right? I was doing, I was a full-time teacher, (laughs) full-time teacher, full-time student, also doing advocacy work and doing things in the community and uh, training and racing. And it was a lot, there was a lot going on. But when I would go to the drawing board and think about, is there something here that I want to give up or stop doing? I couldn't find anything. So I just kept doing it all. (laughs) And at least with school, there's an endpoint, right? You know, it's not, it's not forever. Mm-hmm. How long was your program? Yeah, that's a really good point. It was two and a half years, and you know, I live right by the Panhandle, so I'm like, it was so convenient to be there. And I also liked having exactly what you just mentioned. I liked having this guidepost of like, for the next two and a half years, I'm gonna be right here. I'm gonna be doing this. A lot of other things may change, but I know that this is going to be what's stable and what's consistent in my life. Yeah. How does it, like, has it kind of sunk in now that that anchor point isn't there? I mean, you graduated just a couple <laughs> days ago when this conversation is happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, 
Almost. And then there was a fellowship um, that I applied to, which is a teaching fellowship within the program. And the folks that get the fellowship are actually able to teach an undergraduate creative writing course at the University of San Francisco. And I just found out that I did get that too. So super exciting <laughs> professor that's awesome yes add it. i love it so like we should yeah, add that so. to our intro we'll go back and edit that absolutely <laughs> yes <laughs> in case you needed more adjectives multi-hyphenate yes exactly <laughs> how does kind of the creative process um and running like what's do, how do those two things in your world layer on play with each other Yes, as we've talked about so much already, I am so on the go. I'm doing so many different things. And both running and writing are these meditative spaces that allow me to really feel and allow me to really process and be present with with where I'm at. And that's so, so important. So they speak to each other a lot. Like I, when I'm running, I'm thinking about what I wrote. And when I'm writing, I'm thinking about what I was thinking when I was running, right? Like there's... Those are sort of my two spaces where I feel the most connected with myself and from there can reach out and feel as connected as possible with others as well. So those are just such pivotal parts of my identity and they speak to each other all the time. And both are really, really essential for me and for my mental health and in turn for my creativity and ability to produce and generate. You mentioned a poetry thesis. So is that the preferred medium of of poetry in terms of creative writing? Which is like, you know, just choose something easy. Like, choose easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say it is, it is mostly poetry, but it is sort of often tends toward the narrative. So... It's a little bit of both. Um, and it was a really uniquely challenging this last year trying to figure out how to turn running into poetry and how to write poems about running that aren't like left step, right step, pavement, <laughs> beautiful wind on my face, right? Like, okay, <laughs> no one no one wants that. <laughs> so that was challenging, but um, I think I found ways to make it work and I'm really excited about it. I will release top insider information here that my tentative poetry collection title is cross country and oh. it's all about um obviously running but also moving from one part of the country mm-hmm. to the next and traveling to the east coast to go run mm-hmm. new york city and then coming back home and um, having family still in the midwest and also about transness and the ways that the country crosses trans people. So there's there's a lot there and I'm, I'm really, really excited for it to be out in the world eventually. Oh, goosebumps with that name. It is like <laughs> so I know. layered. Like, what a perfect. good... Thank you. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> How did you... Did that just like come to you? Does it ever happen where you like just get these ideas, whether you're out on a run, sometimes it happens to me when I'm driving and I'm like, oh, that's the name or that's what I'm going to do. Like, what was the moment where that came to you? Mm. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
it's something that I've actually thought a lot about because my initials are also CC. Oh, so so whenever, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whenever those yeah, like, merch, like comes out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is so me. Like I'm a runner. Like we could put my initials with an arrow through it and then it's running. Like I just, I've always had that relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yes, you're, you're so right. All of those moments, I think we all have them. And then especially if you write in any capacity, um, or you do even things like a podcast, right, where you're generating ideas and thinking about new ways to approach those ideas. You just pull out the phone and you put it in a note or you you jot it down on a scribble it down on a piece of paper or whatever. I love that moment. Like I, I love that us humans have the capacity to to have ideas like that, that we're like, we can't let mm-hmm. it go. Like we need to we need to put it somewhere and save it. I think that's really mm-hmm. special. Yeah. Yeah. I I also love what you said about, you know, there is like the, like there's something so primal about running and like the experience can be distilled down to like, you know, the bad poetry version of it. One step in front of the other, always (laughs) keep moving, look at the sunrise. Yeah. But there's also like, it's almost, it almost goes back to like, you know, the classic thing about creativity, which is like creativity needs constraints, you know? So like Mm. by mining something that is like, could be so grounded in cliches. It almost feels like it is also ripe for someone to tell you something new about it. And I'm, Mm. for that reason, like so excited to read what you've written about something that like we've all experienced. And some days it really just is like right foot in front of the other. (laughs) Let's do it. Um, But that's, that's such a, that's such a, a fun thing to do too. Thank you. So maybe going back, starting with the origins of cross country, what are some of your earliest memories related to athletics or running? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it all started on the soccer field in kindergarten. <laughs> um, I feel like the soccer to cross country, soccer to runner pipeline is really alive, right? It's really strong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? It's super strong. <laughs> but I'm also like, like, what were the ball skills like? Like, were, you know, I'm curious, like, <laughs> like, because I was, I was That's horrible hilarious. at soccer, so I wouldn't say I was a good soccer player. So I'm like, if we took a team of great runners that were also ex-soccer players, like, how would they stack up? I'd want to see it. Anyway, sorry. Again, <laughs> Against soccer actual players, soccer good players. soccer players. <laughs> Other than just, That's actually like, really never funny. being, like, never getting tired, which... That's the thing. That's the one. And I can't even say it now because you already said it. So, (laughs) (laughs) no, but that's so, that's very true. I mean, I played, and this is, this is also very duh, but I played like on the wing. So I was, I was just running all the time. And I didn't, I didn't feel like, I don't know. I wasn't like a forward. So I didn't need like really intense, like, footwork on the ball as much as like I just crossed the ball a lot and I was I was decent at it but I think I definitely was better at running um so there's there's something there and then when I found out that you know running was its own sport I was like oh great this is great um and I remember like being bussed over from my school which was like was the fifth and sixth grade school over to the seventh and eighth grade school to like run with like the big kids they were like recruiting people for their team from the younger school um and i just remember doing it with my friend and my friend ended up absolutely hating it <laughs> and i remember just like what i loved about it this is so like competitive and stupid of me but i there was a course like our home course was two loops and i would lap people and I was like, oh, <laughs> like this is, <laughs> yep. this is what it's all about, baby. 
<laughs> so yeah, I, I liked I liked that, and there's something as well. Like I grew up in a suburban town and outside of Chicago, and I loved that I could go do this on my own. That I could leave my house when I was 12, 13 years old, and go for a run, and that was it. I was like, bye, going for a run, and then it was like it was independence, it was autonomy, it was freedom, and I really, really liked that. And now as I've gotten older, something else I really appreciate about running is how much you get to explore and see of wherever you are. It goes hand in hand with people who like to travel and be in different cities and uh, different towns. And I just, I think it's amazing. So I guess I kind of cut off part of the story, but I, you know, I ran, ran through high school, ran quite a bit in college, but I didn't run all four years uh, because I just, I butt up against the issue of being like, I'm not a woman and I'm running on a women's mm. team. And so that was sort of where I had to step away a little bit and, you know, find my way back eventually to running. So when you, when you stopped running on the team, did you take a period of time where you stopped running period? Not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stopped training, you know, I was, okay. I was doing easy runs here and there. There was just no way I could stop entirely, but I, completely reconstructed my relationship with it. Um, I was running at St. Louis University and it was just, it was a D1, but not like big D1 with funding and resources, like D1 as in really high expectations and really low support sort of. So yeah, I mean, it was definitely the right thing for me to stop running. And many of my teammates actually didn't run all four years because of similar reasons, not necessarily gender reasons, but just like, you know, some of the NCAA culture is, you know, will just suck the love of the sport right out of you. So um, I'm glad that I didn't try to continue to run because um, it made space for that repair that was so necessary for me mm-hmm. to love the sport how I do now. It's probably impossible to know, but with maybe the challenges of like the clashing of the running and then the things that you're starting to to kind of grapple with, with gender identity. Like, do you think that running kind of pushed that to the forefront more than it would have otherwise? And like, was a catalyst to make more changes mm-hmm. or without running, would it have been the same? That's a really good question. Um, no, it's, it's exactly like we were talking about earlier, you know, to run and is to be with the self. And I was spending so much time with myself and not feeling great about it and um, tack on the layers as well of running on a team where, you know, sports are so, so gendered. And um, did any of y'all, did either of y'all run in college? No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Um, well, just, you know, the, the down to the uniforms and the culture within the team, it was like, okay, now we're all getting our belly buttons pierced. And now like, you know, no one runs with a shirt on. It's only sports bras. Like it was just very, which is totally chill and great. And I love that for women. But like when you're not a woman and you're in that culture, it's like, wait, this is, this is a lot. Um, so yeah, that was really, that was really tricky for me. And I think to answer your question, yes, because I was, because I was running and because I was present with myself, some of those issues were brought up and maybe leaving the team was also in some way like being like, this is too much, right? Like I need to step, step back from this to be able to see it for what it is. So yeah. Yeah. When does, when does running and like, I guess, you know, training for marathons, like when does that kind of start to come back into play? 
pretty pretty shortly thereafter um yeah i spent my last semester of college actually in madrid studying abroad and it was there that i was actually just being perceived as not a woman uh either people didn't know or people um thought i was a dude and it was probably because i had recently cut off my hair <laughs> um, and the way that I was dressing or whatever. But I was in, in Spanish, right? Like every time that someone talks about you, the adjectives are gendered. So I was hearing people say chicos about me and my girlfriend at the time. And I was like, oh, I love that. That feels really good. <laughs> so <laughs> Love that for me. <laughs> right? I'm like, I mean, I'm obsessed with this. Thank you. And it sounds kind of ridiculous, but like this, like so much of gender, whether you're cisgender or transgender or anywhere in between, right? Like it's about perception. It's about how people see you and how people understand you. And hearing that and and then feeling how good I felt was really, really important for me to start to understand who I was. But I still didn't quite have it. And I moved to San Francisco and, you know, there's a lot of queer representation in San Francisco and in the Bay. And I just met trans people. And it was like the first time that I was seeing like communities of queer and trans folks. And I was like, what? <laughs> this is amazing. This is amazing. This is what I, this is exactly what I feel like. And, and it's not being presented to me in a way that is demonizing. It's being presented to me in a way that is a celebration, that is a community, that is an opportunity, that is a beautiful thing to be. Yeah. I mean, which like that is how it should be, right? It's an, it's sucks for lack of a better word that like it's not mm -hmm. that way in the rest of the country, the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. What you mm -hmm. said about what, ha like your experience in Spain, it just made me think about like romance languages in general of like how gendered they are, but, and how that can cause problems. But in your experience, like being, being gendered because of the language was so affirming. Like what a what an interesting experience to have, like so beautiful. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like language is 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 tricky. It's complicated. We're just making up things to describe other things and it doesn't always work. And you know, but there are those moments where it's also so pivotal and so life-changing that it exists in the way that it does. So when you when you moved to San Francisco, what was the what brought you to San Francisco and then how do you find your community? How do you, how do you find sort of where you belong? I think it's hard for, for anyone moving to a new city. Yeah, it really is. And um, now it's like, I'm going on six years and I'm like, ah, everything is great now, but <laughs> wow, it takes a while. It really does. It does. Um, but I moved here uh, to teach. I, I did teach for America actually. Um, mm, okay because I didn't, my family wasn't super supportive about me being an educator. So I like couldn't study it, but I always knew that it was what I wanted to do. And so I needed a way to leave the Midwest and I needed a way to become a teacher. <laughs> so that was the avenue that I took. Um, and yeah, I mean, first year teaching in general is really hard. And you know, what Teach for America does is it, it seeks to fill those teaching roles that no one else wants, or, you know, they can't fill otherwise or whatever. And, you know, there are all sorts of nuances with that, you know, program. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, but it was really challenging. It was really hard. Mm -hmm. um, it was exhausting. I was working my butt off. I was like just working 
wake up, work all day, work all night, work all weekend. Like it was just, it was a lot. And then in that, I was um, also like, wait, what's my gender? <laughs> so there was, <laughs> there was definitely a lot. Um, yeah, there was definitely a lot happening there. And finding community, I just tried to put myself in in situations where I would be able to meet new people. And um, some of that looked like nightlife things. Um, a lot of it was, you know, my my teacher friends because we were spending so much time together. And fortunately, I had another coworker who was also transitioning basically wow. at the same exact time as me, which was so amazing, so special. Yeah. Like one of my one of my favorite people to this day because the bonding experience and just yeah um, it was really really magical. So that's kind of where it all began, um, and it kind of just it kind of just moved from there. I did join a soccer team as well, um, and I I switched schools and met new friends at that school. So I was meeting a lot of people through different different communities and sort of those different interests that I have. I also started attending a bunch of open mics and other poetry events at, at bookstores. Um, what is now medicine for nightmares, but was formerly dog-eared books and the mission was like a go-to place where I met a ton of really cool writers. Um, so yeah, there were, I was, I was kind of dipping my hands in all the different zones. Yeah. Like really putting yourself out there, which is Mm -hmm. hard to do. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) When I moved to a new city, I was like, I just want someone to be my friend. <laughs> but I didn't put in the work. <laughs> One, please. <laughs> yeah, you think like just quietly sitting in like a New York coffee shop. You're like, this is me being outgoing, right? Oh, that Friends was me being outgoing. Right? Like, it was totally me. And I was like, why is this not working? And it's like, why, why is that my strategy? That's not well, going to work. I mean, you have to, it's it hard so and you hard. have to put yourself out it's there so and like, try different things and you'll, you'll find your people eventually, you know? Um, so what, like, were you in the process of transitioning when you were teaching? What did, what did that look like? And how did your community help support you through that? Yes, I was. And it was very tricky. Um, transitioning in general is hard. Um, doing it in front of maybe the world's toughest audience of, 14 and 15 year olds. Brutal. <laughs> every day. Um, it's like you get a haircut and they. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. And But to tell you the truth, they cared more about that. You know, like I, I they really did. And, and it's so interesting because something that people talk about so frequently about, you know, about transness is like, well, but young people and they don't understand. And, you know, they try to they get it. try to create this thing that's just not true. They don't care. Yeah. They really don't no. care. Um, and I was working at a school that, you know, all the teachers, we just went by our last names, which was also really gender affirming because I wasn't, I didn't have a prefix um, as a teacher, which was great. But it was certainly, there were some challenges at the first school that I was working at. And I worked there for only a year before I moved to the next one. And that was a really good. I think like starting a gender transition in a new city is really helpful. Starting it in a new job is really helpful um, because you don't have people that are so confused about you used to be this and now you're this, right? They only know you as the Mm -hmm. one thing. So that was, that was really good. And, um, when I interviewed at the second school, uh, someone who's now a dear friend of mine that I was co-planning with, and we were teaching the same course, she had on her keys, a little keychain that said protect Mm -hmm. trans kids. 
And I, I saw it on the day of the interview and I was like, please, I want this job so badly. <laughs> and yeah, and it was great. Um, I got the job and it was, I was working at Gateway High School um, just in the city and it was excellent. I was there for four years and the kids were incredible. I had the pleasure of teaching a course called Ninth Grade Seminar, which was all about life skills and um, health and community and so everything from sex ed to boundaries to grief we just we talked about all the things I didn't that get matter. that in ninth grade maybe um, that's why I feel stuck right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us did and I feel like we all need it we could take it right now totally. and all benefit yeah, from it. can you teach <laughs> an online literally, course literally. actually <laughs> <laughs> honestly maybe someday that's in the cards I love that idea uh, but it was just so it was a perfect, perfect container for me to be really open about who I am. And mm. it was completely I think it always is somewhat appropriate, but it was especially appropriate for me to talk about gender and talk about identity and and answer questions. And I, you know, kids very rarely you would get like a a, a somewhat out of pocket question, but nothing that was like mean or hateful and I think that is in in so many ways in my work as a as a runner and an inclusivity activist and as an educator, like in all these spaces, what is missing from a lot of conversations about trans people is trans people. Mm. So yes. when you get us into those spaces, just being ourselves and being people that are, hey, actually kind of cool and kind of relatable and kind of nice and not this crazy, you know, evil type of person. Um People can learn so much and grow so much and change so much and bend toward empathy that is so, so necessary um, as we look at, you know, some of the policies that are being presented right now against trans folks. I think that storytelling and and real genuine connection and authenticity are are just so instrumental in helping people kind of change their minds about the things that they unfortunately hear on the news or, you know, wherever else. Yeah. The, the representation sort of at the policymaking level or any decision-making level is so critical. Like for, yeah. all, I mean, well, it sucks. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> there is no representation, but like just in general, Bridget and I both listened to your your podcast with New York Red Runners, which was excellent. You were so beautifully mm-hmm. well-spoken and like part of it made me want to cry. Um, <laughs> but I think they talked about like, you know, what can what can we do? What are sort of your hopes for the future? And And you had some great ideas. And then what I'm thinking in the back of my mind was like, one place you can start is by actually having like trans people at the table making decisions, designing some of these Mm -hmm. things so that these changes could happen because they were like, that's a great idea. We never thought of that. But it's like, well, if you actually had representation, maybe you would think about it and you could make change more. So just like one example of that. Exactly. Yes, 100%. Um, yeah, get us in there, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, especially if we're talking about us, right? Um, it, it's, it's just, I feel bad. I, and I feel like I don't come from a place of like anger toward people who don't understand because it's, it's like, if you look at what people are actually being fed and what examples are put in the world, it's not, it's not the individual consumer's responsibility so much as it is the responsibility of these big um, agencies or organizations mm-hmm. or you know races or whatever it may be. Um, I mean, it's we all have a little bit of responsibility, but I, you know, I, I think that's part of my work is to try to, you know, just put the story out there, put the person yeah. out there. For sure. Yeah. 
you um, you played a significant role in establishing, you know, non-binary categories in several major races, including San Francisco, Beta Breakers, Chicago, and Boston. Can you, you know, kind of tell us about those conversations? Um, and I think, you know, there's one step, which is like getting that category, which is so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think there's another step, which is like making sure that once non-binary people are there, that they really feel like welcomed, recognized, a part of that community. And I'm wondering about kind of, it's a huge question, but those two things. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I, it's a great question. Thank you for asking. And yeah, I think, you know, I said I sort of strayed away from running and finding my way back toward it. You know, part of it was starting to transition and feeling a lot more comfortable in my body um, and feeling a lot more excited about doing the things that I love in general. And when I sort of turned back to, you know, find my place in running and sign up for races and things like that, I was like, uh oh, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Here I am presented with this male and female checkbox over and over again. And um, I think like it's a lot more complicated than people understand because my first marathon, it was before I transitioned and I was running in the female division. And as y'all know, you know, when you run and you register for another race, you're using your previous race and your previous qualifying time to you know, move it forward to the next race and apply for whatever sort of entry. And um, I didn't, I couldn't be stuck in this pipeline of running in the female division because I, I'm like, I'm not a female and I don't, I also don't want to occupy space there. And at the same time, I was like, well, I've now taken testosterone for one month. I, I don't, I haven't met the Boston qualifying standard for men because I'm not really a man <laughs> and I'm a, a, like essentially doing this in, you know, in a, an assigned female at birth body. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many ins and outs and so many nuances, but um, when I actually saw that the beta breakers had instituted, basically they'd added a checkbox um, to have non-binary runners. Um, and this is something that race um, sign up platforms had been working on maybe a little bit in the background up to this point. And this mm-hmm. is in 2021. Let me just think about this. When, when, when were we racing in 2021 or was that pandemic? They were, still? yeah, they were, we were, back. they were coming back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 2021. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So actually I think in 2022 though, because this was, yeah, just last year and then we already had 2023's race. So in 2022, that is when, I saw that Beta Breakers had this division and I kind of just went in. I was so excited. I was like, well, this is great. I don't have to make this false decision about where I should be running. And I, I, I didn't see any more information on the website. So I was sort of pushing on them to tell me what's up with this new division. Is it the same as the other divisions? Is it, you know, what happens if I sign up here? Cause I've never seen this before. And they kind of were like, yeah, it just is what it is. Your, your results aren't going to show up and there are no, um, awards, no age group recognition or anything. And I was like, what? <laughs> so why would I sign up? <laughs> why would I sign up for that? <laughs> That's horrible. Not very motivating. Uh, right? I'm like, okay, so if you choose this thing, then you get a worse experience than right. everyone else. Okay. That doesn't feel right. Um, so yeah, I started, I, I, I pushed on them and they weren't responding and it was, it was, really making me frustrated. And so I kind of thought I'm probably not going to run this race because, you know, if the race is inherently unfair, I'm not, why would I, why would I put myself in that situation? 
And then that is when we had this huge community um, outpouring of support where um, everyone started emailing beta breakers being like, hey, you need to change this. This is not fair. And they're so much so that their emails started bouncing. And this was like two days before the race. And they must have been so mad. So mad. Um, they weren't, they, I don't think they like me that much, but it's okay because there's new leadership now and everything's different now. <laughs> um, but that happened. And then it was, I was just, I was, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I was just so, I felt so actualized in that moment crossing that finish line where it was like, I didn't have to choose between two things that don't define me. And I'm not apologizing for who I am and I'm doing the thing that I love and my community stands with me and refuses to allow this to be unfair. I was like, I was on cloud nine. I was like, let's go. Um, so it was amazing. And then I immediately, with the type of personality that I have, I'm like, what else can we do? Let's do more. And I thought, you know, maybe in a long time, Boston will be interested in having this conversation. And I reached out to Boston and they were like, yep, let's talk. And that was, uh, you know, a lot of what I received were, were people being really interested in having the conversation, including San Francisco, including Chicago, including even races like Berlin, um, Tokyo, we're still working on, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think this category is so important. Having a non-binary division is so important for people for a number of reasons. For me it's because I'm trans and I've transitioned and I don't fit neatly into either of these categories. And, um, I don't want to feel like I have to, because I shouldn't have to. And people relate to gender in so many different ways. And so this category provides some sort of affirming safe experience for so many different people of so many different experiences. And that's why it matters. And it doesn't take anything away from anyone else. So there's just really no reason to not have it. Not only does it not take anything away, but it adds, you know, I yeah. think the running community wants and is best when we can all show up and when we can mm -hmm. all feel welcome and when we have spaces for everyone. I mean, the whole point of the race is to say, everyone on this day who trained for this thing is going to show up and we're all going to do our best. That means everyone, yes. everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that because I feel like I've never heard that before. And all of my conversations about this, um, sometimes I'm so like angled toward protecting the reason why it's here that I don't, you know, I don't even often make space myself to celebrate sort of the beauty of having diversity within the community and yeah, that we are awesome. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> and I mean, I, I think about like, what so many people tout about the marathon, especially of like, it's the people's race, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone, not, I mean, anyone can run a marathon. We get to race alongside the professionals. We're running the same, the same race as Helen O'Beary, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. Elliot Kuchoge, right? And yet at the My same love, time, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> amazing. Um, I mean, I think it's like not coincidence that Helen O'Beary and Taylor Swift have the same birthday. I think there's something cosmic. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, I could go off on that. But, you know, I think there's like this, this idea that the marathon or, or running is a space for everyone. But for that to be true, we have to create a space for everyone. And if we are forcing people to pick a category or they can't run or they can't show up as their true selves, then we're not, we're not truly 
creating a people's race. Like it just, it. Mm-hmm. I know it's not obvious mm-hmm. to everyone. It seems obvious within the spirit of running itself. Uh, I completely agree. Yeah. Like some of my earliest memories of, of cross country that just like made me fall so in love with the sport were those moments of finishing my race, doing my cool down and going right back to that finishing shoot and staying there until the very last person crossed that finish line. And so many of us did it and we cheered just as loud, if not louder for that person who was out there working maybe even harder for longer. Right. Right, Um, It is for everyone. And, and yeah, I know, I know it's, it's so, it's so frustrating that we get so tangled in these side conversations about, well, but if it, is it really fair? And is it right? Like, what are we talking about? Just put on your shoes. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Start your GPS watch. (laughs) It's not that complicated. You're making it way more complicated than it has to be. (laughs) Right. For sure. And I, I mean, like going back to kind of your experience this year at Chicago and New York, you know, and you've talked about this, like, especially for Chicago, there, as you're training, you're not only training and doing your advocacy work and in grad school and teaching, but you're also fighting another battle that you didn't necessarily sign up to fight and were kind Mm -hmm. of like forced into. And I I mean, probably no better person to be ready to do that from an advocacy perspective, Mm -hmm. but you didn't ask for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So is it okay if we talk about kind of like yeah. what happened with the TUE and how that has maybe even changed some of your approach to advocacy and what you're what you're fighting for now? Yes, absolutely. So maybe we'll we'll set the stage. Essentially, from what I understand, you were you were doing a panel, right, with New York Roadrunners and talking about your experience and someone mm-hmm. decided that they were gonna go to New York Roadrunners, Chicago Marathon, and USADA. And and report you. And so then you were the the subject of an investigation from USADA for mm-hmm. for doping because of your taking testosterone. So then you sought approval for for a TUE, which is an incredibly invasive mm-hmm. process and mm-hmm. and challenging. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe talk talk to mm-hmm. us a little bit about that, which seems yes. like a horrible oh. experience. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through yes. that. Thank you. Um it was horrible. Um and I'm still I'm still sometimes feeling the the residual effects of that process and really hurt by it and um, hurt by the ways that a number of different people showed up or didn't show up. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I was, I was, it was just after my birthday um, that I was spending time with friends um, and I was driving home, driving a a number of, of friends home. One of them actually Sophie Payne, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know, a staple in the community. And I got this call out of the blue uh, from the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. And I was like, hello? (laughs) 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 Yeah, what? (laughs) You're calling me? Um, I'm I'm not sure I understand. And they basically told me, you know, they're sending me an email and to look out for it and, you know, let them know if I had any questions. And I kind of was like, well, I certainly will have questions. I'm sure this is not our last conversation. Goodbye. And I was like, so dysregulated, like driving home my friends and like, what's happening and what's going on? And I opened my email to this email from USADA that just said, it's been brought to our attention that you have been violating anti-doping policy um, by using a prohibited substance. 
And I'm like, me, I'm not cheating at all. I'm not doing anything to cheat. Like, what is this even about? And yeah, come to find out it was about um, my use of gender affirming hormone replacement therapy, which certainly if abused, um, testosterone can have performance enhancing effects, but I was in no way abusing testosterone. As a matter of fact, I'm scared of the needle actually. So, um, I, you know, I just was totally, totally shocked. I felt totally blindsided. Um, and they told me I had 10 days to submit this extensive documentation, which includes extraneous information like documentation of sex reassignment surgery, which, you know, in, in no world has anything to do with my hormone levels. Um, you know, so it also, you know, there was a requirement for me to write a letter explaining my identity and my decision to undergo medical transition, um, you know, amidst, you know, the, the, the typical, like, what are your levels and show us all of your lab results from the last, you know, since you started taking this and give us the prescription and we need, you know, they wanted an, a complete psychological record and a complete medical record. And when I went to fill out the application for this, the two check boxes were male and female. And I was like, is this real life right now? <laughs> is this real life? What is this? Because, you know, just to, just to, you know, to, to clarify for folks who might not have a full understanding, like I can't choose one of those and have it make sense. No. Like, I'm not sure what you're asking. Are you asking about my body? Are you asking about my hormones? Are you asking about my genitalia? Like, what do you want to know? Mm-hmm. Um, because neither of those will work for me. Mm-hmm. So there's really, I, you know, I left it blank in the end, but you know, immediately I thought I'm not doing this because if I do this, then everyone else like me is going to be forced to do it too. And Mm -hmm. then it became very clear that if I didn't do it, I couldn't run. I mean, I could run, but I couldn't race. And it was, I was just confronted with this impossible decision of basically being who I am or doing what I love. And I found a way after three months of really, really intense distress and frustration and devastation. And I got, you know, I sought guidance from lawyers and um, other folks in the industry. And many, many people told me to just close my mouth and submit all the things they asked for and, you know, protect myself as a runner and move on. And I couldn't because I, I just couldn't validate the transphobic violence that was in this process. And I ended up not submitting the entire medical record, not submitting the entire psychological record, and instead writing why I would not be submitting those things. And, you know, not checking any of those boxes and still submitting the application and just hoping for the best. And I knew that it was possible that I wouldn't be allowed to race in Chicago, that I wouldn't be allowed to run in New York. I knew that it was possible, but what had happened with after what had happened with Beta Breakers and other related events in the last year and a half or so, I thought my community will catch me. And if I don't run these two races, it's okay because this isn't about me. This is about the future of other trans runners. Yeah. Oof. But the story has a yeah. has a happy <laughs> ending. Yes. For you. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. For me, right? Yeah. In that you were granted the TUE and you were able Mm -hmm. to race Chicago Mm -hmm. and you were able to race New York and you you won New York. And now you're in this 
position of the first trans athlete in one of these categories forced to mm-hmm. get a TUE, but mm-hmm. you prevailed. And so you mm-hmm. you sort of set the benchmark for other athletes going forward with like, and how remarkable, right? Mm. Of like showing that it, it can be done, which I think is another marker for inclusion and encouragement. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I think hopefully, you know, I've in the new year, we'll be continuing to put more pressure on more conversations with USADA and other related organizations. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, it's about, it's about the fact that like, just like you said, that my exemption was granted, even though I didn't submit all of these Mm -hmm. really intense things that they said they required. So, okay. So we don't need, let's just say what it is then that we don't need to ask for that. Right. And then you don't need to put people in the position of being like, how much should I share? Just get what you need, what you need, and then move on. Right. And, you know, I think, I think zooming out too, it's very interesting because there are many, many trans athletes that are, are participating in marathons, right. Um, many, and they might be participating in men's divisions, women's divisions, non-binary divisions. We're all over the place. Some people, um, are not talking publicly about their use of gender affirming hormone therapy. Some people are finishing, you know, in three hours and some people are finishing in six hours, right? We're all over the place. We're there. But what I think makes me feel really upset about this situation is that for me as a person who is public about my transness, which I think is a good thing, um, and is uh, performing well as an athlete, there's a punishment, right? And the punishment is to be reported um, and have to go through this process, right? So there's something a little bit scary there. And I think depending on how I chose to approach the situation, there could have been different impacts. But something that I didn't want to perpetuate was this fear mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. other trans people. If I'm public about being trans and I perform well, that that won't work, right? Um, mm-hmm. That to be out loud, to be trans and to be an athlete is is too hard because then it's going to, it's not going to work in some way, right? So the the victory in terms of the TUE is exactly like we were talking about earlier. I'm saying I am trans. I take testosterone. There's nothing wrong with that. I am not ashamed of it. And I'm going to go run my heart out and you cannot stop me. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it, right? Um, yeah. And it, it sounds, maybe I'm making it sound easier than it is. <laughs> No, I mean, thank you for sharing that story and thank you for like how you approach that situation with so much thoughtfulness and like the details of that story, I think are so compelling, you know, that, mm-hmm. that it, it was hard that your initial reaction was like, kind of fuck this, mm-hmm. which is so the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the the things that you left out are so um, poignant to where we go next. Right, mm-hmm. like they're instru- mm-hmm. they're they're instructive, and you know we're so grateful for the mm-hmm. outcome because it does prove the point of like mm-hmm. this wasn't necessary. Right. Um, and I think that you know yeah the the punishment of you know for you being open about this whole experience and performing at a high level i think further like it's it's a compelling part of this whole process of like what does this actually mean how do we again create a space that is celebrating everyone and that is looking for like how do we 
acknowledge people, everybody that is going to show up on race day and that is doing their best. If that's mm-hmm. the goal of racing, if that's what this whole community is about, then how do we rewrite these processes? How do we rewrite yes. entry? How do we rewrite the finish line? How do we rewrite whatever needs to be rewritten mm-hmm. so that it works for everyone? And and it's got to be so hard. And, you know, I think there's a lot of this that is raw, but wow, is it so um, important? And like, I just want to say thank you for <laughs> for wow. sharing it, for doing it, because it's it's not easy. Um, but I feel like you're making the sport a place that I am so much prouder to be a part of, mm. you know, because of what you're doing. No, well, thank you so much, y'all. It's like it's seriously crazy easy to talk to you. I'm like, I'm like, I'm really in it. This has been really lovely. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, just like I. It sucks that this happened to you, but like, as I said earlier, like I can't imagine someone else that would be able to handle it so well and be such an advocate and say like, this is the work and this is the work that we need to do. Um, the other thing I, yeah, the other thing I'm curious about too is like, so we're holding trans athletes and trans athletes competing in the non-binary division to the same standards as any other professional Let's athlete go. in any other so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this right like I in any it. other division and yet you're not at the press conference like you're not Correct. on the today show the mm-hmm. day after the marathon mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. not getting the same prize money like isn't there it, there seems to be a little bit of a, a disconnect with that. 100%. I am so glad you brought this up because it's so hard to have this conversation with folks who don't really, really get running Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're like, you won, you did it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But like nothing happened after. (laughs) Nothing. I didn't get to go to what football game did they go? The Jets game. Not that the Jets are good, but you weren't invited. I wasn't invited to that big clear whatever room with the whole skyline view and (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, it's, it's, I think in some sense it it is right. I'm not Elliot, right? And that's totally fine. Um, but we are in maybe a a moment of trying to reconfigure and trying to understand. And um, you know, I, I think it's really worth worth highlighting actually right now in twenty twenty two, the New York City Marathon announced that they would have prize money for the non binary division and it was amazing and it was it was all over ESPN and you know there are tons of headlines you can find if you google it and i saw this and i was like yes it's so rare that races even have any prize money for this division at all so i was like this is amazing i'm signing up i'm going to go do this and um for reference it's $5000 for the winner and um for the men's and women's divisions it's $100,000 yeah. um which you know Okay, we'll start somewhere, right? That's fine. And so I, you know, I was running this race and and it was, you know, I was at mile 16 in New York City coming off the Queensboro Bridge and I saw a a friend of mine who's also a, a competitor and it was I was shocked. I was like, wait, they're right there. Okay, so but I'm right here. And then if they're right there, then if I go a little bit ahead <laughs> of I them. <laughs> exactly, exactly, works. exactly. <laughs> right, right. Is this is this racing? Is this what this is? Um and then and then there was a cyclist that was lingering around me and I was like, Oh yep, okay. I see what's happening here. And you know, mile sixteen, it's like you know, ten miles to go. That's a, that's a tricky part yeah. of the race, but I was so like 
am I about to win this? This is going to be amazing. So I just, so I did. And it was incredible. And I was so excited. And a few days after the race, I, I hadn't really heard anything from the race directors or, you know, organizers. And I was kind of like, Hey, like I'm in town for a few more days. Let me know if there's anything I need to do to come sign anything or get my anything, you know, <laughs> trying to get my $5,000. Um, and they responded to me and said, Oh, Actually, it looks like um, you haven't run six New York Roadrunners races this last year. So you're actually not eligible for the prize money. I'm sorry, what? Literally, <laughs> literally. Right. Yes, I know. You're like, I didn't I know. know there was some secret like six plus one program for the New York City Marathon. <laughs> like, it's yeah, exactly the that. women's winners get have to run six. I don't think that is um, same, same. <laughs> I am in the glass, um, the glass building in the highest and the tallest story in New York City um, and ask them there. Uh, but anyway, uh, I... I was totally shocked. I was like, what are you talking about? And it turns out that, you know, I, I've, I've had a number of communications with them since. And it turns out that they added this stipulation to this division following the registration period that it, it was not there last year. And they added it. They didn't do any press release or any coverage on it. They didn't communicate it out directly. And they are, they are not going back on it. I asked them to please honor what, what stood at the time of registration and they won't. So... So I, so the year that I had of, you know, going and like defending my right to even run at all and then to go race and then to go race again and to win the race and then to be like, okay, finally, at least get five grand. At least I got one thing, one thing out of this. And still they find a way to say no. Um, And this is, I'm saying this to say that there's still so much work to do Mm -hmm. and and sometimes it's just like, I don't want to do the work. Like I've, yeah. I already won the race. Can like, why am I now having to beg what you? What else to do I need to do? Right. Like seriously, like yeah. what else is there for me to do? Honestly. And, um, and then at the same time, to obviously this doesn't apply to you too. Um, and hopefully not many folks that are listening, but the prevailing rhetoric about transgender athletes is that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we have an unfair advantage. Mm. Do we? Do we (laughs) like, look at this, like, look at how much work it is to just show up. Right. So yeah. And and to continue to show up after every, every disappointment. I mean, that, that rhetoric around the unfair advantage is just, it's just bullshit. I mean, like, (laughs) anyway, I can go off on this, but what you mentioned, (laughs) you should actually like send an invoice to New York Roadrunners and be like, this is my podcast fee. (laughs) (laughs) I know. See, they they didn't tell me that I wasn't getting the money before the podcast. We can't can't pay you that, but you know. But so like one of the interesting things that you you said, and it's so it's relatable, is like when you're training for something, stress is stress, right? So whether Mm -hmm. that's like emotional stress and to layer that on top of the already physical training that you have to do is an added barrier and makes it even harder. And so you're having to train for Chicago and for New York not knowing if you can race and and mm-hmm. not only not knowing if you can race but like just like fighting for your right to basically exist right 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 
Yeah, that'll wear you down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's worth at least like 15 minutes. Like you, I think you should, your official time should be like 15 minutes faster. There's, there's a new Strava function. They, you know, so if they, they just released Strava DMs, but there's also like stress adjusted pace. <laughs> There's like great adjusted pace. There should be stress adjusted yeah. pace. I've heard people talk right. about how there should be stroller adjusted pace, which oh, yeah. I, I think I'm a champion like of, but I like yeah, that. there's like just all of these things that go into it. And then you finally win and you're like, I just want, and like, Five thousand so, dollars is is not nothing. That's like two Taylor Swift tickets, but <laughs> <laughs> but like it's also not all the money in the world to New York Roadrunners to just honor their commitment for yeah. one person. It's much more to me than it is to them. Yeah, and this is also an organization that I've been in communication with for the yeah. last you know, six mm-hmm. months, like shoot me an email, dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just disappointing. And I think oh, it, just, it just sucks. Cause I don't want this to experience. I don't want this story with New York city to end in, and I never got my money. Right. I want yeah. it to end in, I won and it was amazing and I can't. Yeah. Right. And this is like, this is the, this is what it is. And you know, this is the constant, hustle. And, you know, like you mentioned, I think I am well-equipped to do this work, but I'm tired too. But it's exhausting. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we won't let that be the end and we don't want that no, no. story to end. And I hope that like, I know we got to meet at the inclusion panel at, at um, the San Francisco running community running festival. I'm like, did I just mess up that name? Which was so <laughs> no, great. And I was so excited for you to run New York because it is the most fun, the most just like special race. So I hope that you still get to celebrate that win and like think of running through the boroughs fondly because it is a special race. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was, it was so fun. And it's just one of those, I love people so much and they were just Obviously, so many people running, so many people cheering, and um, it was just a very my entire time in New York, especially the race. Those were just such such powerful moments of connection, mm-hmm. and um, the panel that you mentioned earlier that kind of led to this um, this report was mm-hmm. was with the New York Roadrunners. So to kind of bring the full thing full circle and yeah. and come back and win. I think like after having to prove myself so much for an entire year, um, maybe more in my life, I finally felt like in that moment, there was nothing to prove. Like you can put me through all this. You can try to make it impossible for me to show up here, but I'm going to show up and um, you really like can't make me stop running. I love that. That's amazing. So, with the ball. So you're detraining for another few days. What's next? Um, I'm a part of Project Renegade. Um, not sure if y'all have heard about oh, that. Yes. But yeah, it's really spectacular. Um, a crew of folks that are doing important work in the running community, mm-hmm. but also just change-making work in the world. We're suited up to go race the LA Marathon in March. So I'm really excited for that. And I have my bib for Boston as well. So we might do another 
double whammy because you know me, I love to run marathons. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I don't like to miss out. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's LA next. And, you know, yeah. yeah, I'm really excited. And, um, you know, I, I just graduated, so I'm not going to start teaching right away until the beginning of next school year. So I'm going to just try okay. to like Great. be present and um, just really I'm trying to call in a lot of symbiosis and reciprocity and mutuality in this coming year and um, continue just working on exciting things and meeting cool people and running and trying to get more trans people out in the world, in the running world. Does LA have a a non-binary division or do we need to do some work there? Okay, good. (laughs) We're good. We're good. No, thank you so much for asking. Um, Yeah. I want to, I want to work on some bigger projects around making it super easy for Mm -hmm. folks to just send that email to races as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, because it is generally pretty easy. Some people are assholes, but generally people are responsive. So um, my coach, actually, I I think this is such a, such a sweet little story. My coach, um, Eve Schaefer, She's uh, works out of the Bay. She's awesome. And she knows me very well and knows about all of these situations that we've been describing in the podcast. And she refuses to run a race that doesn't have a non-binary division, even though she herself is a cisgender woman. And she's done so much work to reach out to races and have them change things. She's like mm-hmm. working on Dipsy right now. She's like, nice. she's really in it. Like true ally of the century. Um, but she'll just send me a text every now and then just saying, hey, I just talked to the Modesto half. Uh, they were so annoying at first, but we figured it out, right? And she just is, is in there doing the work. And I just want to shout her out and say I so appreciate her. And that that gives me hope and gives me fuel to keep doing what I'm doing too. Yeah, we love that's that. A, that's <laughs> a great example of how you can be an ally, right? Like you can yes. see something and be like, hey, like, actually, can we change this, please? Yes, exactly, exactly. That's great. All right. Well, we could talk for like much longer. Um, unfortunately, I need to put my child to bed, which is a, a real, a real bummer. Um, that seems important. <laughs> I think my husband's about to like lose his mind. Um, anyway. Sorry. No, no, we're fine. I do it like every night. Talk. We could talk about like stereotypical gender roles and. All of that, I feel like I I shoulder. You know me. Have me on the next episode. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just talk all about it. Um, but before we end, we have some fun rapid fire end of the podcast questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Great. Where is your favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? Golden Gate Park down um, to Lake Merced, around and back. Love it. Um, if you could go on a long run with anyone, who would it be? Elliot Kipchoge. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> he would have to walk. John G- <laughs> 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 uh, uh, favorite John G gear. The trail half tights. Yeah, we didn't even like mm. get into the fact that you're a model, a brand ambassador. You found a <laughs> club. You got to come back on. <laughs> 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 Part two. I love it. I yeah. definitely would. Part two. Absolutely. <laughs> um, favorite poets. Who should we be? Who should we be reading? Who should we be listening to? Ada Limon, Chen Chen, mm. 
And I'm going to give out a shout out to two of my classmates who also just graduated, T.S. Leonard and Samantha Stevens. Love it. Um, And our last final fun question, burger, burrito, or pizza? Burrito, baby. All the way. Super burrito con asada. Come on. Oh, where are you going? Where are you going? Where's your place? El Farolito, um, the one on Alabama. So good. So good. Uh, Cal, this was just such a pleasure. Thank you so much for this conversation and all the work that you do all the time for our community. It really makes it a place that is better for us all. So thank you. Thank you so much. Seriously, this was felt like such an easy place to converse freely and be myself. So I really appreciate you having me and um, for your interest in this conversation. We have been looking forward to this for so long. So thank, (laughs) thank you. And like honestly, we're we're just really proud that you're a member of the Bay Area running community and like feel really lucky and just you know we're like yes, thank you for all your work. But like seriously, what you're doing is. It's world changing, not just for runners, but for trans people in general. Mm. Like it's really we running is a microcosm of life. And this yes. is a microcosm of how we can, you know, create more inclusion and participation and just acceptance and allowing people to just simply exist in the world. So thank you. Uh, yes. Could not agree more. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode with Cal Calamia. Make sure you are following Cal on Instagram at Cal Calamia and on Stravo. Stravo? Wow. I'm going to leave that in because it's funny. And on Strava. Also, make sure you're following us at Runners of the Bay on Instagram on X. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. If you would be so kind to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, We would also be so grateful. It will help new listeners find the show. As always, thanks. And we will talk to you soon.